Welcome once again to the Chapter 49 podcast, this edition for July 2nd. 2021, although we were recording this on July the 1st, it's for release on July 2nd for some technical reasons. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm the communications volunteer for Chapter 49 and a retiree. Uh, We welcome you all to the podcast, and uh, we are going to have a special edition because we've been away for a couple of weeks. Uh, For some technical reasons, Duncan Giles has been busy, and we had an unexpected day off. We're not upset about that. That's uh, why we lost one week. And this past week, Duncan has been very busy in terms of his uh, negotiating with uh, the management on a team in Washington, D.C. So I would like to welcome once again Duncan Giles, uh, direct from our nation's capital. Hi, Duncan. Hi, Larry. Good to be with you. And also, and by the way, they're, uh, the, the we're, who people we're talking to are now located, as we're speaking, at the NTEU National Office in Washington, D.C. We're welcoming Lori McCann. Lori is the president of Chapter 10 in Chicago and has been, as, as, as Duncan, both of them are the two chapter officials that have been present for all of the national agreement bargaining. Lori, thank you so much for agreeing to join us today. Thank you so much, Larry. Well, I guess uh, we have several subjects to talk about. The most important one would be the bargaining that you are undertaking. You had several weeks of bargaining. You've now finished up uh, the second week of mediation. So, Lori, uh, I'm going to ask you to start. Tell me uh, where you're at and what you can say about the current state of the negotiations. Well, you know, it's been such a wonderful experience, uh, despite the fact that I've been with Duncan. <laughs> oh, you, you've got this you all figured out, Lori. Yeah, you figured this out, Lori. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. And it's been an interesting experience. Um, we completed five weeks of our training on of our training of our bargaining on Zoom. And then we had two weeks in person and then two weeks of mediation. So it's been a fascinating experience. We have um, worked out quite a few issues under the leadership of uh, Ken Moffitt and uh, Doreen. Everybody knows Doreen and Jim Bailey. And so it's just been a wonderful experience. Uh, Today we wrapped up quite a bit and um, we're almost done, aren't we, Duncan? We are basically done. Yes, yes. Well, that is something. So so do you have... uh... And Duncan, do you have any loose ends or have you uh, agreed to all the language? Um, We are tying up the loose ends as we speak. Uh, Ken Moffitt is hard at work. Our director of national negotiations is hard at work uh, communicating with the spokesperson for the management team, Luke Chesick, uh, to tie up little bits of language. Um, But we're in agreement with all of the... um, things that were opened. We've got uh, agreement. We think it's going to be a very good agreement. Uh, we're very happy with how it ended up. We think we've gotten some good gains for employees, and we re- we really do think that employees will be happy. Now, I'm going to so ask- Larry, Larry, at this point, yeah. we're just dotting the I's and crossing the T's. That's, that's great to hear because uh, it's great to hear that it's going to be good news, and uh, there'll be a time here in the near future when when some of that will be revealed to everyone. But, Lori, let me ask you this, because last time I talked to Duncan, uh, he basically said that had 
the negotiations been going on in person the entire time. He really thought that things could have been wrapped up even earlier. Uh, was it easier for you to bargain in person as opposed to Zoom? Absolutely. You know, uh, once we got together and we were face-to-face, I felt like we had a lot more movement that went on with the bargaining. Uh, with Zoom, you know, you're, you exchange proposals and you discuss your reasoning behind your proposals. And then you go off Zoom. Um, you know, you're, you're off camera and that's it. Versus when you're face to face, you you sit down, you have a conversation, not only at the table, you can have it in the hallway, you know, and, and you can you can really find out what's going on versus Zoom when you're just basically just exchanging information. It made a huge difference to our bargaining. Now, Duncan, I know you're not able to get into a, to a lot of the specifics and the substance. Uh, and you said people are going to be happy. You think it's a very good agreement. That's very good news to hear. Uh, can you at least maybe give us some ideas of the areas where uh, employees will probably be happy with with some of the new contract provisions to the extent that you can? Sure. Um, and if you hear a roar in the background, we've just started experiencing a huge thunderstorm here in uh, in Washington, D.C., so that may be thunder and lightning you might hear in the background. Uh, some of the things that have been, I think, employees will be very happy about is uh, telework. We've gotten uh, greatly expanded telework for a huge number of employees across almost every division. Uh, We were painstaking uh, before, right before the pandemic and or not before the uh, mediation and since the mediation on making sure we could get every single job we could to be able to do frequent telework. And I think we've done a very good job of that. Our team uh, worked well together and flushed that out. So I think people will be happy. And we have the understanding that even though this contract doesn't take place until October 1st, that it will be um, continuing. So even if people are called back to work earlier, they're still going to be able to do the um, expanded FlexiPlace if they're on this list. The second item that I think employees will be particularly happy about among many is going to be the awards pool. We've gotten a uh, larger amount for the awards pool. So last year was the exception where people got very large awards uh, from prior years. We are very hopeful that it will be the same in future years. And we believe that the way the contract is written up, as long as we get decent budgets from the uh, Congress, that we'll be able to do so. Yeah, Laurie, that's, uh, I'm trying to remember. I think Duncan told me you come out of the Taxpayer Advocate Office. Is that correct? Yes. yes the, the reason I asked about that is because uh, now Duncan describes this as my time on the dark side. I was a manager for a while. <laughs> and uh, my secretary, my former secretary, was promoted and now works for the Taxpayer Advocate in, in downtown Indy. And Everyone, I think she comes in the office twice a week. Everybody else is working from home. And you know how recalcitrant the Taxpayer Advocate's office has been in the past about people working from home. They discouraged it greatly. How, how, how much of an impact do you see, let's just say in the Taxpayer Advocate as an example, that this new contract will provide some, some new possibilities for people uh, getting time to work at home now where they might not have, well, let's say, the pre-pandemic period? 
I think it's going to have a huge impact because, Larry, one thing you need to consider with the uh, case advocates and the intakes and the, the lead case advocates for Taxpayer Advocate Service is that they've had so much work uh, that they've been working overtime for for years. It's not even a matter of months, but they've been working up to 20 hours per pay period of overtime for for at least two or three years now, if I remember correctly. And so one of the things that you don't think about, or some people may not think about with telework, is that you actually, your commuting time, for example. And so if it takes you an hour and a half to get to work, an hour and a half to get home, that's three hours out of your day. And then you're working overtime on top of that, you, you may or may not work it. So if you eliminate that commuting time, that three hours a day or so, that makes a big difference. And, uh, you know, you talk about work-life balance. And honestly, I don't feel like any TAS employee has in, had any type of work-life balance in the last few years, just because of the number of cases in their inventory. So I think that telework is something that uh, will greatly impact the uh, Taxpayer Advocate Service employees. I want to move on to some other subjects, and I know we're limited on what you can say as far as details, so I'm going to ask each of you one last question. Duncan, anything else that you are able to say and wish to say about the new contract before we move on? I think that there are going to be some changes that people will see, mainly in how the hiring is going to go for specifically entry-level positions. Um, even if you're an internal candidate, I think it will be different. I don't think it'll be more difficult for employees, but it'll be a different thing to do just because of the fact that as the commissioner has stated on several occasions. I think you're getting some kind of an alert for your weather, right? Yeah. Sorry about that. It's a flash flood warning. So okay. I apologize for that. Hopefully you're on an upper, hopefully you're on an upper floor. Yeah. We're on the, uh, we're on the, uh, 12th floor of the building. So. If, if we need an arc, we're, we're in pretty good shape. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and finish. Uh, go ahead, Duncan. Yeah, it's um, it's going to be a different type of process, but with the mass hirings that the commissioner has uh, talked about frequently, the numbers that we need, um, we think that the internal candidates are still going to get a very good chance of being able to, uh, to get something out of this. So uh, I'm, we're not very concerned about that. Has been set at the table. If you're an internal person and you're doing a decent job, you should be able to find a uh, a different job or even a promotion out of this with the numbers that we're looking at. So, Lori, I'll give you the same question. Any last comments about the new contract you can comment upon right now? Well, I just what I just want to say, because Duncan has touched on uh, the really important articles that were uh, worked on and where we may see some changes. But uh, one thing I just want to touch on is that. Um, we had a great set of chapter leaders that came in and uh, just excellent subject matter experts. And we were able to get, to me, a, a great uh, a great contract for our members and for the bargaining unit. And I'm just proud of the work that we've done. Uh, you know, we came in from all walks of life, to say. So we were just great. I just thought that there was great representation and we did really good work, and we have a good contract. Um, and like I said, Duncan covered the, the high points already. Right. Well, there is one more, Larry, I would like to touch on that. We're, we're calling this the Ken Moffat okay. clause. <laughs> I didn't know if we could mention we that. Can, so that's we're, why we're, we're looking at, um, we're hoping that uh, folks in a lower income bracket 
um, that have uh, small children that have childcare, we're, we're thinking that we're going to be able to get them some assistance. And our uh, national director of negotiations, Ken Moffat, uh, was the one who formulated and spearheaded this one. And we're very happy with the way that that ended up. Yes. Well, I'm sure there are a lot of single parents that will be able to take advantage of that. So it's, it's very good to hear. Thank you for mentioning that. All right. So we will look for more. When do you think, Duncan, uh, the, the contract itself will be made available uh, uh, to the membership? Any idea yet? We are hoping that there will be ratification votes, uh, I would say, by the end of July. Oh, so I would good. say we would have the information out electronically at the very least. Uh, to be able to go ahead and do that. It has to go through agency head review as well. So it's not a quick process, but we're still anticipating getting everything together, um, having the ratification votes and it uh, being available by the time that it goes into effect on October 1st. Well, Duncan, I'm very glad you told me that there were thunderstorms in the area because when I heard the thunder, I thought that was the roar of the crowd. So, um, <laughs> no, they're they're being they're they're listening, but they're being very respectful, well, which is kind of scaring both Lori and myself. Well, we're not done yet, so uh, <laughs> let, let me talk about uh, another issue, which may be tied to the negotiations uh, to some extent. Um, there is still no date as to when people will be returning to the office. From what I am hearing, there are some people working for IRS that are anxious to get back in the office and maybe miss that personal uh, contact with their coworkers. There are a whole lot of people that do, are doing just fine where they're at at home. So let me ask you, I'll ask Duncan to start on this one. Uh, we don't know when people will be returning or how or what kind of process there will be. There was, as we've talked about in a previous podcast, guidance from the White House kind of indicates that if you're working at home and you're doing fine on your performance, you should be able to generally work at home. So where do you think we are there? Or is there any feel for it at this point? Um, Lori and I are both pointing to the gut. Do you want to answer this one? Do you oh, want no, because you said Duncan. Um <laughs> Yeah, what we're looking at right now is there is no set date. We're sure, and to be honest with you, I'm sure, you know, that Lori and Terry who's sitting here listening would all three of us would agree that IRS has a plan. They know. They're just not sharing it with us or telling us what's going on. So if anybody says we know that there is a set date when this is going to happen, they're absolutely incorrect because it has not been shared with us. Well, the the agents, the federal agencies have until July 19th to submit their return to work uh, plans. So, you know, anyone that's speaking right now, I think it's just guessing at this point. Laurie, I'm curious because Chicago is one of those areas where commuting, I mean, it's tough enough for me to commute in Indianapolis. I can't, you know, I've been to Chicago. I can imagine that's, that's difficult there. What's the, the general view, uh, feeling, if you will, the temperature you've taken amongst your membership, people working up uh, in Chicago area, up from Indianapolis. And, uh, what are, what are their, what are they feeling about return to work? Do they have any particular views or, or I know a lot of times, uh, the membership has varied views. Is there a consensus at all amongst your members? I would say that the majority of our members would like to continue on telework um, and, and to work frequent telework. Uh, there are some, and I have heard from them, that they are anxious to get back into the office. Uh, they Some live alone, and it's just a matter of just wanting to get out and about. 
some are concerned with the cost of the additional expense for the utilities in working at home. And they would like to get back into the office, if not full-time. I really haven't heard of too many that want to work full-time, but at least a hybrid where they work from home and work in the office. You know, Laurie, uh, under the old contract, the current contract, if you want to put it that way, uh, uh, pre-pandemic, people were expected to be in the office a certain number of days. Will that continue, you think, or do you have you figured that all out yet? Well, in, yes, that will still continue where it's a requirement, an OPM requirement, actually, that they come into the office. This is once we once the evacuation evacuation order is lifted, where we come into the office uh, two days of pay period. You know, Duncan, uh, you one of the reasons that's a requirement, I guess, is, is just to establish your post of duty. And, and, and that can be very important, particularly when it comes to your locality pay. That's it exactly. And that's we've had uh, quite a number of discussions on that, whether they have to go into the office or not. And that's what it's come down to is that OPM has ruled that if you're wanting to do that, it does come down to the locality pay where it may be different, especially, you know, if you're in, let's say, uh, northwest Indiana is where you live, but you're outside of the, you know, immediate commuting area of Chicago, but your actual post duty is Chicago, and you're getting Chicago locality pay. So that's, that's the type of thing that they're trying to avoid. Understandably so. We, we did push hard for folks to be able to uh, not have to go into the office. We, there are some things that we'll be able to talk about later on uh, that for periods of time, they're going to be able to do that. So we've made some gains even there. Let me stay with you, Duncan, for a moment. Uh, I, the man who recruited me to become a steward in the late 1980s for NTU was our um, our, our late legendary chapter president, George Bilkey, who was an estate and gift attorney. You shared some information with me yesterday that probably has him rolling in his grave. There are changes afoot in the estate and gift examination or, or compliance area. Tell us what's going on there. Uh, this is another case of form over substance where the IRS is talking out there behind. Um what they've decided to do is they want all the attorneys to be in chief counsel. So places where a state and gift where we've had attorneys for 60 plus years, uh, now they want to put them in as legal specialists. Is that the term, Lori? Right. Going from a, a 905 series to 901. Yeah. Which we think is just insane. We're impacted a little bit in Indianapolis. Uh, you know, Lori's got uh, more members that are going to be impacted because she's got more of a presence in a state and gift, but we're both just uh, shaking our head at something like this because it's, it's just makes no sense whatsoever. And why you wouldn't call an attorney an attorney is simply beyond us. So these attorneys will still be working the same cases. They will be working the same pay, just a different series. I'm, I'm, I'm really not sure if I understand all this. Help me out. Well, the, what they're saying what I, IRS has said is that the job is not changing, just the title and the requirement to be an attorney. Okay. So you, you in the future, that you could have a state and gift examiners who are not attorneys. Is that what the service is saying, Lori? That is what the service is saying, you know, but there, there, is, <laughs> there are issues that come up with that. Um, also, whether or not someone who is a uh, not an attorney, if they can supervise attorneys, because they're saying that they can, um, the current 
employees that are under the 905 series who are attorneys, they can they can be grandfathered in, you know, but they they lose their promotion potential. And uh, there are other issues that come that come into play. You know, what if, if they want to practice law and that type of thing, CLE, their continuing legal education, all of that comes into play with this. And the national NTU is pushing back on this pretty darn hard because they, as we do, just see it as just, like I said, it's strictly um, form over substance. There is actually no real reason for this. Well, would make you think down the line that maybe the management does have some ideas on what they want to do. Is that the biggest suspicion here? Okay, so you're saying that management has a long thought out plan. Is that what you're trying to tell me, Larry? I'm I, okay. I, I I will I will uh, I will withdraw the question. <laughs> but let, let me ask another question. I, I think I remember this, Duncan, when you shared some information with me. That is this a case where NTEU only found out about this from the chapters? The management never informed the National Union about this? <laughs> that would be correct. Oh. Yes. That's, that's one of the things that didn't make us very happy. Well, and that makes things a bit suspicious as well. Let me uh, move on to another subject, if I may. Um, we know that uh, the Congress is moving forward and the president has um, – has, uh, has uh, how should I put this, suggested or has put forward a 2.7% pay raise proposal for uh, 2022 for the federal workforce. I know NTEU nationally, our legislative department, and also uh, there are uh, people in Congress who are good friends of the federal workforce who are continuing to push for a 3.2% raise. Laurie, where do you think that stands, and, and what are our chances of getting 2.7 or 3.2? Oh, I think we have a great chance for the, the 2.7. Um, uh, slightly less <laughs> likely to get the higher one, but I think we have a great chance for the 2.7. You know, Larry, as you know, um, and Duncan, that, uh, you know, there was a time when we didn't receive any raises, and we are all, there's no pay parity. Well, very little pay parity. And so at this time, um, we not only need the raises because we did get them, but if the if IRS is going to be competitive uh, and if they want to hire the way that they say that they want to hire in the future, they they're going to have to get in line with the private sector when it comes to the salaries. And, uh, you know, they're expecting to hire high numbers. And so they have to be competitive. And this is one way not only to reward the current employees, but in order to uh, to get new hires. You know, Duncan, I have a, a, a friend of mine who was an accountant, uh, owns an accounting firm uh, here in Fishers, Indiana, which does tax work. And he told me yesterday he has, and it's a fairly small firm too, he has four openings right now. And uh, this is for technical people. And I told him the IRS had a big hiring uh, possibility coming up, at least that's the projection at the moment. He basically said, "Yeah, but I'm going to I'm going to find a way to you know make my offer more competitive than the service." Does IRS really understand the competition out there to be able to recruit people to come work for this agency? Let me phrase it to you this way, Larry. We've talked to them ad nauseum whether it's been at the table or every opportunity about this uh, possibility. Um, and sometimes they seem to grasp, but sometimes they don't. Uh, some of their hiring 
things that they're wanting to do uh, just don't seem to us to be the most effective, but they're going to go ahead and roll them out. We're, we're very concerned about that because we want to be able to attract these people. We want, we need the help. As we all know, we need the help. We need to have more bodies. We need to have good quality employees and it's going to be tougher to recruit them. Like you said, because of like that friend of yours, they've got openings and they know what they need to do to compete. So it's, it's going to be a difficult and daunting task, but, but we're hopeful with some of the changes that we've made uh, that it'll be at least a little bit easier that uh, prospective employees will be able to hear sooner about jobs or promotions. So we're, we're hopeful, but uh, wary. Let me ask uh, about one last item before we wrap this up. Uh, there's been a recent FLRA decision. It was not IRS or not NTEU, but it's still an important uh, precedent, I think. There's a, a, a concept uh, in labor relations in the federal sector called the duty to counsel. What that means is if you have a decrease in your performance, management has a responsibility to help you out, get back up to where you were in terms of performance, if, if your performance dips. Uh, again, a VA case before the Federal Labor Relations Authority, there were several VA employees that were let go and the employee said, wait, VA, you never gave us a chance to improve, didn't do anything really for us, you just fired us. And the FLRA took the employee side in this ruling and said, no, uh, VA, you did not give your employees a chance to improve. So, Lori, it is good to see that at least at that level of uh, of, of the federal uh, system that the FLRA is once again saying management, you have a responsibility in this duty to counsel. What, what do you think? Absolutely. Because um, one of one thing that I truly believe is that management, as you say, had, they have a duty to, to develop their employees, to help their employees. And if you're not willing to put in the work to help them to improve, you know, by mentoring them or counseling them, then, you know, they're not doing their jobs as far as I'm concerned, you know? And if um, I'm going to say Duncan is IRS. So if if Duncan is going to go out (laughs) and hire these, uh, he's going to recruit these employees, He's going to bring them on board. He's going to uh, maybe maybe train them, give them some decent training. We hope they will get decent training. You have to be there to help them um, if you're going to retain them. So, you know, you can recruit, but you also need to retain. And so it's very important that the mindset of management changes and that they realize that they are there to develop these employees. And that includes counseling them when needed and helping them out and letting them know, giving them the opportunity to improve instead of just uh, kicking them out. So Duncan, I assume we'll have the same language in the new contract on duty to counsel. Yes, we will. They management, uh, as they always do, fought very hard to have that removed, but that language is going to remain. And Lori touched on a very good point. You need to counsel employees and we're bringing these employees in as important as recruitment is whether it's a new employee, an employee who's been here a couple of years, or an employee who's been here 20 years, we have to retain good employees. We have to do what we can to keep folks here. And that duty to counsel that uh, the FLRA said that VA did not do is something that we here at uh, 
and to you, especially for IRS, consider extremely important. Well, we're about out of time. Uh, Lori, I'll give you one last uh, opportunity. Anything you'd like to touch on that we did not uh, get a chance to speak about or maybe um, go a little further on something we've already discussed? Just a minute or so. Uh, anything you'd like to add? Oh, what? Where can I start and where will I end? <laughs> no, I, you know, I just want to say that um, this was a great opportunity to work on the bargaining team, eat, despite Duncan. And, <laughs> I, you know, it, it, it was a, just, uh, just a wonderful experience to be uh, with the different leaders of the different chapters. Um, and I'm so glad of the, um, and I'm proud. I would like to say this. I am proud of the work that we have done over the last seven plus two weeks um, that we have done. I think that um, we represented the, the employees well, and I'm very proud of that. Duncan Charles, uh, your shot. Last, uh, last comment, please. Yeah, I, I echo Lori's comments about that. This was uh, very hard fought uh, at the beginning. We were very pleasantly surprised that since we've been in person, what we've been able to accomplish, uh, the chapter presidents have been great. The NTU national staff, whether it was our main folks with, uh, you know, our chairperson, Jim Bailey, who's the national vice president, our spokesperson, Ken Moffitt, um, you know, uh, Doreen Greenwald, who's assistant to Jim, uh, Noah Brzezinski, who's assisted us greatly in this in one of his first assignments with NTU. Uh, the whole team has really pulled together, and we're very proud of this. The last thing I do want to say, as I like to mention, is, you know, people will eventually be coming back to the office. Please, please, please get vaccinated. We need to, we need to increase the number of people that are getting vaccinated to try and make sure we don't want to have anybody have a fallout because of that. So I, I would just, you know, echo what National says, National NTU says as well as um, people like Dr. Fauci, and please get vaccinated for your own safety. And, uh, Duncan, my last comment is your studio audience was very well-behaved. Kudos to them. (laughs) We even uh, even had a couple of people join, and they've been well-behaved. It's been wonderful. Okay, we've had people in and out. That's amazing. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Thank you, Duncan. And Laurie McCann, would you you please join us again in the future sometime? We'd love to have you back. I sure would. Thank you so much, Larry. And, uh, and Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good to hear. All is well on that front. So I want to thank them. Uh, thank everybody for listening as well. This is the Chapter 49 podcast. We try to be weekly. We had a couple of weeks off during the uh, bargaining for Duncan Giles, our chapter president. So again, you can find our podcast on just about any platform where you find podcasts. Just uh, go ahead and uh, uh Go to podcast by Larry Lannon, L-A-N-N-A-N. You just have to search using that phrase. In the meantime, we thank you again for listening. Listen again as we have another podcast coming up soon. And please be safe and be kind.